Welcome to Keep the Republic with Dr. Daniel Bobinski, editor of True Idaho News. Keep the Republic is brought to you by the Political Action Committee Conservatives of and Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho Real Estate. And now, here's Daniel. Well, hello and welcome to Keep the Republic. Dr. Daniel Bobinski here, your host for the next half an hour or so, talking about the truth facing Idaho and uh, things we can do about it. I want to tell you that our show is sponsored by Conservatives of, conservativesof.com. They are an organization that helps get conservative Christians elected to office. If you'd like to help with that effort, I encourage you to go to conservativesof.com. Click the Donate tab. Help them out over there. Very much appreciate them being a sponsor for our show. Also a sponsor for our show are Carmen Glancy of BoiseRelocating.com. Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho Real Estate. She's been helping individuals and families since 2011. She works with horse properties, residential properties, new construction, investment properties. You can see why so many people give Carmen a five-star rating. If you go to BoiseRelocating.com, take a look at what Carmen does. She's very, very well experienced in the South Idaho region. Uh, Carmen Glancy, BoiseRelocating.com. Thanks to Carmen for helping to sponsor this show as well. You know, in this country, uh, the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of changes. I, I tell people, you know, if you've had any kind of consciousness uh, since 2019, you've seen some changes happen. You've seen some things happen that you probably never expected to see happen in your lifetime. And um, it's been a little bit of a shock, I think. And, and we try to, we kind of roll with it and go, okay, what can we do now? What can we do now? But... I think it's important that we stop and discuss what's really going on, where the rubber meets the road, how it affects, uh, shall we say, everyday Idahoans. And with me in studio to discuss that is Susan Lang. Uh, Susan, welcome to Keep the Republic. Hi, Daniel. Thank you. I appreciate you coming down to discuss this. You've got an interesting story to tell. I've uh, written about your situation at True Idaho News, and I encourage people to go there to look it up. There is an interview there, too, a video interview people can see uh, with some video, some of the stuff that you and I plan on talking about here on the show. So I do encourage people to go to trueidahonews.com, look up the article that I wrote about uh, Susan Lang with the interview there. And uh, I, I, you maybe probably heard about Susan in the news. Uh, maybe you don't remember her name, but you remember the event. It was the, the event that uh, seemed to cause, I would say, a mountain out of a molehill. It was uh, a way for the, shall we say, the establishment to kind of uh, paint all conservatives in the valley in uh, southern Idaho as extremists. They used this to their advantage, and I think wrongfully so, because I think they were intellectually dishonest in doing so. But... Uh, Susan, let's let's go before all of that. Let's go. Let's go back and talk about life prior to COVID. Remember that? Uh, gosh, <laughs> it, it does seem a long time ago. Things have really changed, haven't they? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so you know, I'm a housewife and a mother, and I was living in Boise. Um, pretty interested in keeping an eye on politics. That's why I chose to live near the capital. Believe it or not. Um, Pretty familiar with medical freedom issues. I would say that's why I live in Idaho, actually. 
I don't think anybody saw March 2020 coming and rolling out the way it did. But I will say this, I was down at the Capitol protesting the very first day that the governor called, uh, was it the emergency or the extreme emergency? There was a handful of us down there because we recognized that the governor did not have any right or any real authority, I should say, to be locking down Americans and Idahoans in their homes. So we were down there to protest that. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I was ready for this to roll out, but I, uh, when it did roll out, I was ready to be heard and to say, no, this isn't right what you're doing to the government. Yeah, it, it wasn't. And as a, as a management coach and a corporate trainer who has, I mean, my master's degree is in human resource training and development, so I'm well-versed in HR issues. And I'm, I work with management teams and have for decades. And I'm, I'm watching what's happening out of Washington, D.C. I'm thinking, are these guys not thinking about the ripple effects of their actions? We're going to lock down? Have they not thought about the implications for suicide? Have they not thought about the implications for domestic abuse, people being sequestered in their homes? And as you said, it, this, this whole lockdown wasn't not uh, legal to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It was nuts. Well, so personally, I don't refer to it as lockdown. I refer to it as illegal house arrest. And I don't cooperate with illegal house arrest because I hadn't broken any laws. I wasn't a criminal. I was healthy. Right. Uh, So in this country, I think we all know that we are guaranteed uh, that we are innocent until proven guilty when it comes to the law. So why was our government assuming we were unhealthy? Right. Why Mm -hmm. were they locking us down? So, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty vocal on my Facebook page and with a lot of other people who are concerned about medical freedom. And from the very beginning, these are the kinds of issues that I and many other people were bringing up. Um, seemed obvious to me right away that you close down a society, you, you kill the economy, right? Mm-hmm. And the economy isn't, um, it's not money, it's people. It's, it's people making money so that they can pay their bills and so that they can put food on the table. How could you in good conscience kill that? Um, And when you close down schools and when you lock up people with mental, existing mental health or physical health issues, what are you doing to people? What are the real human costs of this? Mm -hmm. So from the very first day, I said, this is a disaster and they have no authority to do it. So, yeah, I, I was very vocal about that. And I kept a very close eye on everything that was coming out of Washington, as you mentioned, and here in Idaho, because it seemed such a... um, Oh, gosh, what's the word? So incongruent with what Idaho should be. I I don't know if people realize this, but the I think it was the December right prior to this COVID business. uh, Governor Little had actually been given an award by President Trump for uh, like having such an unregulated state here Mm -hmm. in Idaho. Do you remember that, Daniel? Yes, I do. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he's Governor Little was proud of our state being the least regulated, which I think ought to be a wonderful thing. But when you lock your people in their houses and when you're the first governor in the state to make hydroxychloroquine unavailable. Who's the first governor in the country? Yeah, that's sorry. That's what I meant. First governor in the country to make hydroxychloroquine unavailable to people suffering from COVID. Wow, that sounds like regulation on steroids to me. So I was shocked that Idaho specifically would be rolling out this way. I called it uh, practicing medicine without a license, Mm -hmm. (laughs) telling people that they couldn't, couldn't take for an illness. 100%. Well, so, I mean, I'm just going to call it a medical dictatorship because um, when did public health become the guiding principle for our government? You know, what happened to the Constitution? Where in the Constitution does it say... 
except for in cases of emergencies, right? There's an unknown virus. Oh, you can just uh, rip up the Constitution and do whatever you want, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, the events were shocking and I, I already did know other people in the area who shared my concerns. And then I met a whole bunch more. We found each other pretty quickly because we just weren't going to allow this kind of overreach by the government to stand. You know, we had a lot to say about it and we, uh, intended to be heard. And our, and our governor, Governor Brad Little is a member of the National Governors Association Regular listeners of this show know that I talk about that on a pretty regular basis because it is uh, knee-deep, neck-deep perhaps, with the World Economic Forum, which Mm -hmm. is Klaus Schwab, which is Yuval Noah Harari. These guys are uh, transhumanists. They believe that it's okay to, quote, hack the human being to implant uh, nanobots and technology into humans and control humans. And this is not just conjecture. This is easily found on YouTube. You can punch up their videos and look at, uh, you know, like I said, Yuval Noah Harari or Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum and the, the National Governors Association, of which Brad Little is a member. He played right along with everything that they promulgated. They said, if you're a state, you need to do this, right? Uh, 49 of the 50 states followed suit and did what the NGA wanted them to do, lock down the states, as you say, house arrest. That, to me, was huge. I, I was one of those people who was looking up definitions. I was so frustrated that nobody in the media was pushing back. A quarantine is when you have verifiable six people, and the reason it's called a quarantine is it's 14 days. That's the, that's the uh, etymology behind that. Whereas he was just saying, stay home, locked down. You're absolutely right, Susan. That was, by definition, house arrest Mm -hmm. without cause, therefore illegal. Right. Right. So um, I didn't participate in that. Now, my husband um, was furloughed from his job. And at the time, speaking of definitions, Daniel, I really didn't know what a furlough was. So I believed he had lost his job. And actually, at that moment in March, we didn't know for sure that his job would come back. So he was furloughed. Uh, My son was not in school, which I think most everybody listening can um, relate to. So we were at home in some sense. There really wasn't any place to go because do you remember they even closed down, gosh, the uh, some national forests or they closed down. Outdoor spaces in yeah. Idaho, makes right? No, makes I no mean, sense. It's it's you know we're we're living in a what looks like a halfway normal situation now, so it's hard to remember how crazy it was. Mm-hmm. But that was nuts. So there really wasn't anywhere to go. There was actually some fear of even driving places. You know, if if you decided to take a driving tour of Idaho, would you get pulled over? You people, know what what did it mean? People did. Uh huh. Right. So I so I say we didn't comply. My family, we didn't participate with the illegal house arrest, but we were mostly home kind of by default. You know, we went down to the river and took walks and so on. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't really do the things that the governor said we needed to do because he didn't have the authority. Like I said before, he didn't have the authority. There's no law that says he can do what he did. There, as you said, there's no clause in the Constitution that says all these things hold except in the case of a deemed emergency. And then what also bothered me was, by our Constitution, he's only supposed to be able to declare an emergency for 30 days. He can extend it for another 30 days, and then it's supposed to go before the House. 
uh, he and his, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll quote his, quote, uh, attorney general, found some pretzel logic reason as to why they didn't need to call a special session. We've been duped in this state by our leadership. So part of that then was the governor playing very passive aggressive, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. He um, told his uh, Department of Health and Welfare, uh, you guys have control over masks, non-masks. So that way he could claim that he didn't make any authorizations. But... We have it on videotape, people who oversaw the Southwest District Health, for example, the, the chair of that particular district health board, received a phone call from someone in the governor's office who threatened him that if he did not mandate masks in the Southwest District arena, then every COVID death would be blamed on him. And this was the governor's task force people threatening this guy with this. Right. A lot of folks don't know this happened. And so this is what's so darn frustrating, mm -hmm. is our governor's claiming, I never mandated any of this, and yet his task force is mandating everything of this. This kind of thing happened. So then we had Central District Health, of which Ada County and Canyon County, and when I was, actually, no, Canyon is in Southwest. Uh, Ada, Elmore, Jam and Fallon, right. Yeah, so you have that board deciding that you have to wear a mask or jail time. And, of man, and a monetary fine. And I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, since when does an unelected board that is not laid out in the Constitution have the right to institute monetary fine and jail time for not wearing a medical device? That, so, so this vote was starting to happen. This is where your story comes into play, because you guys were trying to get heard. Right. Well, if I could just take it back a tiny bit, back sure. to, let's say, June and July. Because that is when um, a lot of us started to pick up on the fact that you already mentioned, you're absolutely right, that the governor had rolled out, he had these um, orders that he had made that were sort of extending 30 days, 30 days, 30 days, right, to keep us in this lockdown emergency situation. And so we had gone to our legislators and we had said, you need to do something to end the gov this emergency because the governor is out of control. And um, we didn't have a lot of success with the legislators. Um, and the point I'm making is that we really went to all three branches, ultimately, to try to deal with um, bad laws or bad orders. There weren't laws. So, so in about June or July... Let, let me interrupt. You, you tried all the traditional normal channels. Right, right. So that's the story I'm trying to build here. All exactly. the, the approved channels that everybody would normally go through. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly and where I'm got, going. And got zero response. There were a few legislators who wisely saw what was happening, and they did speak up, and they were in the minority, and they were powerless to stop the governor. Because they couldn't get a quorum. They tried to get the session several yeah, times, se right. special session going, but they couldn't get a right. quorum of legislators to, to approve it. Right. So we had an out-of-control executive. We had a powerless legislative branch. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said at the beginning of this show, we have these, gosh, I don't know what to call them, quasi-legislative bodies, which are the health districts. Would you agree with that description of them? They're non-constitutional um, government organizations that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, regional health boards. Okay, right. That are not part of the Constitution. Right. So um, those sort of came to my awareness. I think it was the end of June, July, the local health 
district here, Central District Health, which with its office and board, which meets in Boise, they started to talk about mask mandates in the end of June, beginning of July. And so uh, some people and myself began trying to attend those meetings. And we could listen to the meetings, but only online. They were, they were Zoomed. And what happened was um, initially people who were wearing masks or who um, had exemptions to mask wearing were allowed into the meetings. In I think the September, October, Central District Health uh, decided that no one could come into the meeting without a mask, period, regardless of your health status or anything else. So they were discriminating against a viewpoint. They were discriminating against anybody who either believed wearing masks was wrong or literally couldn't wear one for medical reasons. Let, let me point out that there is no scientific evidence whatsoever prior to COVID, prior to uh, spring of 2020, that showed that masks inhibited viral transfer. I did a, a, a meta-analysis research on this, wrote about it extensively. There was several analysis done, about a, half a, about a dozen of them over the past, oh, say, nine, 10 years prior to COVID. None of them showed any statistical difference in the effectiveness of a mask stopping a viral transfer. Non-existent. So any of these rules that were being promulgated by uh, the Central District Health, and they were being uh, pushed by Deborah Burks and the uh, Society, they were getting phone calls from Washington, D.C., pressuring the people to wear masks. But it was all for naught. There was no evidence to prove these things worked. Right. I mean, the thing is that the evidence now is just rolling in that we know that these things weren't effective and they weren't right. But at the time, there was evidence as well, but you couldn't get a fair hearing. You couldn't even get into a meeting to, to state what you knew or right. to cite your sources and so on. Right. And so it was in... Um, Gosh, it was in the fall of 2020 that the Central District Health was having their regular meetings and certain members on the board were, I would call it panicking because the pandemic would get out of control if we didn't control the people better. You know, that's essentially what they were saying. And so what they were realizing was that if they couldn't get us to comply voluntarily, they would need to attach criminal charges. That's what it comes down to, you know, either volunteer or, or we will make you. So as of the beginning of December, Central District Health was voting on a, uh, just a terrible measure that was going to make not wearing masks in Ada County, at least, um, attached to a misdemeanor um, punishment. At, at the measure changed several times. There were several iterations of it. Uh, but at one point in time, it would have criminalized, you know, gathering in your home with people over a certain number. Uh, I don't remember the number, 11 or 12 people or so on. So, you know, it was the kind of thing that was saying you couldn't have parties in your home. You couldn't go to church. Your children couldn't have soccer games after school. And the people, we heard about this because we were paying very close attention to the health boards by this time. And we said, no, this is wrong. You, you absolutely can't do this. So that's what was happening at the beginning of December. They were, they were looking to vote on this measure. And it was very clear that certain members of the board we're pushing this very hard. There were a couple of members of the board who maybe were on the fence, and there was maybe one or two who was saying, we need to slow down. We don't have the consent of the governed here. We can hear them outside protesting because by this time, we were showing up in the parking lot outside the CDH building in um, Boise on a regular basis outside of the meetings. Lots, Not, lots of you. 
It was building over time. But yeah, that's right. Lots of us. Because remember, by December 4th, they're absolutely not allowing anybody in without a mask. And and to tell you the truth, even those who were allowed in were limited in number because social distancing was required in the rooms. Again, no scientific evidence whatsoever. To, to prove that that prevented any kind of viral transfer. That's right. So on the rare occasion that you, uh, let's say you did cooperate and wear a mask and go inside the meeting, there was basically uh, maybe one or two people in that room. So yes, by December 4th, uh, more and more of us were showing up to, uh, to, to be in the parking lot, you know, and I, I really view that as bearing witness. These people are conducting semi-private business. You know, they're conducting our business. Uh, privately. 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 I mean, you can watch by Zoom, but that's not participation. No, it was very frustrating. I remember uh, those meetings of uh, being online. I remember sending emails to the board members uh, mm-hmm. saying, hey, please consider this. Please consider this. Look at this evidence. Look at that evidence. I got no response ever. I never heard any of those issues brought up at the meetings. Instead, they had Jim Sousa, chief medical officer for St. Luke's, and I'm going to call him out um, for being, uh, how do I say this politely, a non-truth teller who is using um, anecdotal stories, no scientific background whatsoever, just sharing anecdotal stories to tell us that masks worked. And I'm thinking, since when does a medical professional use that as evidence to prove a point? Medical professionals should be pointing to studies to say this study shows this, this this study shows that. Uh, but all he was doing was saying, oh, these hairdressers wore masks and nobody around them got COVID. And it's like, that's not a scientific study. But that's what they had. That's what they were entertaining at these meetings. They weren't mm-hmm. listening to people like you and me bringing data in for them to consider. No, they weren't. And in fact, by the evening of December 4th, uh, there was one person on that board, and I I do want to give her a shout out. That was Representative Megan Blanksma. So she's a representative from, I think, Elmore County. Yes. And uh, she also sat on this board. And and I, I want to mention that people aren't really elected to this board. There's kind of a funny process by which they end up on the board. But those are not, those people are not representing us while they're sitting on that board. Anyhow, but Megan Blanksma was was the voice of reason throughout this entire thing. Um, And what I mean by that is several times she pointed out that Central District Health was violating or in danger of violating open meeting laws. Throughout that season, they had to be corrected by their own lawyer. And Megan Blanksma was was trying to keep the process intellectually honest. Um, and at the very least, she was voicing these things publicly so that you could see that she was trying to hold some sort of, um, I don't know, level of logic and honesty there on the board. I, I agree. I observed that as well. Right. So, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this meeting, I think she was the one person who said, uh, you can't pass this measure. You, you don't have the consent of the governed. There are people outside right now, and they are not happy. So... Yeah, this is, this is to supposed her. to be a government of, by, and for the people. Uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're nearing the end of the show, but we, we had such a great conversation, I didn't remind, but if you're just tuning in, we are listening to Susan Lang uh, talk about experiences leading up to the mask fiascos that, were tried to, that they tried to install in some of the counties here in Idaho. Uh, so you had these meetings uh, going on in the parking lots outside of their quote-unquote meetings. They're trying to say that they're meeting the obligation of public meeting laws by broadcasting them on YouTube, but they weren't entertaining any of the input that was being sent. I sent them emails 
no response, no one mentioned of anything. Right. You did the same thing. Lots of people did. All they're doing is entertaining the talking points being promulgated by, shall we say, the medical uh, medical establishment. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Megan Blanksma made it clear that she even had serious questions about whether the emails that we were sending in were even being distributed amongst the board members. So it's very possible that our voice as the members, the residents of the uh, residents of Boise and the public here, we're not reaching the board members or we're reaching them unevenly. So there's a lot of question about how that board was operating at that point in time. Um, but so by the evening of December 4th, there were 20 or 30 officers lining the front of the building, more around the back in the Winco corporate parking lot next door to keep an eye on us. So we had called the sheriff several times and said, you need to help us. We're being locked out of a public meeting in a public building. We are the people. We have a right to be in that building. And the sheriff didn't respond. What happened was um, Boise PD showed up in force surrounding that building as though we were criminals, hmm. keeping us out so that our voice was silenced. We really were silenced. Uh, so the evening of December 4th, I believe was the first evening they were potentially going to vote on this very bad measure, and they decided to hold off the vote. And I, I think that they were very much influenced by us, our presence outside. Mm -hmm. So December 8th was the second uh, meeting at which they were potentially going to vote on this measure. Hey, Susan, I, I, I know where you're going with this story. Okay. Hang on a second. On. I, well, hang on. I'm just realizing, I'm looking at the clock here and realizing that we've only got a couple minutes left in the show, so we're not going to have time to tell this whole story. Are you able to stay after we can record the second half? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's do that. So this, we're going to leave you uh, on a cliffhanger this week because uh, the story that Susan has for us is amazing when you take a look at how the government is trying to shut down people who stand up for that which is constitutional. That's the way it really is happening. The people working in our government are so addicted to power. They've become addicted to power. They've got a taste of it. And now they're shutting down people who try to ensure their operation of constitutionality. That's just not the way this country was arranged. Um, so Susan, uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask you to come back. We're gonna, we're gonna record, keep going, keep this tape rolling, and for everybody else, uh, we'll just say, you know what? Tune in next Saturday and listen to part two of this show because Susan's story is amazing, and you're gonna want to hear what happened and what resulted from it, and what can happen as a result of all this. This is an amazing story. You're gonna definitely want to listen. Uh, this is Dr. Daniel Bobinski, editor of True Idaho News. And I thank you so much for tuning in. You can track what's happening in the news if you go to trueidahonews.com and subscribe. Absolutely free to do so. And if you want to catch this show, uh, you can go to 941 The Voice and uh, look at that online and look at the archives. Look up the Keep the Republic show. You can catch part one. And of course, next week will be part two of my interview with Susan Lang. Susan, thanks for joining me here on Keep the Republic. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to Keep the Republic. If you'd like to support this broadcast and fund Christian conservative candidates, visit conservativesof.com and 
for your real estate needs. Connect with Carmen Glancy with Homes of Idaho. Also, please pray for our republic and for godly men and women who will work to keep it.